Hey everyone, this is Dr. Fox. Thank you all for your continued support, and thank you to my Podbean patrons for helping me to continue CRPN Central's podcast. For more information about our mission, please contact us today at info at crpaynet.com for details. CRPN Central is brought to you by MedVector. MedVector allows community physicians to maintain control of the patient relationship with clinical trial participants, while experienced PIs and sites can maintain the control of protocol and GCP. I have seen time and time again patients throughout our community who are not on trials. Why? What are the reasons? MedVector provides a solution for sites to break down these community barriers and to offer access to clinical research for everyone who's interested. Contact MedVector at medvector.com and tell them that CRPN Central sincerely appreciates their support. This episode of CRPN Central is brought to you by Save Our Sites. Save Our Sites is founded by clinical site administrators. It's four sites, and we want to make sure that we can reduce every possible barrier for our clinical site administrators to come to a conference, talk about what they need, and get something done. February 2nd, 2024, Tucson, Arizona. Please consider registering. For more information, go to saveoursites.com. Welcome to the SIV, Clinical Sites. We look forward to working with you. Here's the protocol synopsis. You're fully trained. Now go get them. We will be one of the best enrolling sites, client. Now, about payment. It's been three months since the contract was signed and 90 days since we sent the invoice. Now that we have the green light, may we have the startup money to pay for our expenses? Lawyers and negotiators don't pay themselves, you know. Oh, you'll have to talk to the CRO. They are in charge of grant payment management. One month later. As promised, we have enrolled like crazy, halfway to our enrollment cap, and our monitors love the site's quality. We still haven't received payment for our work, and it's getting a little breachy. The patients are enrolling, the data are coming in, and life is so very good. Thank you for all your hard work, sites. Please, talk to the CRO about payments. Three months later. What is wrong with you, sites? Where's our data? Why have you canceled monitoring visits? You are seriously breaking your promises, and we are not happy with your performance. Breaking promises? Wrong with us? We met our allowed enrollment cap, performed everything perfectly. It's been months since we sent an invoice, and we still haven't received a dime from you. All while we are literally shouldering hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt you should have paid months ago. Please consider this an escalated event. We cannot continue to work for a sponsor without resources. It violates our quality policies. We'll contact the CRO today to see what is happening. One day later. Here you go, site. Your hostage money. Now get back to work. A day in the life of an administrator. We are always working on high alert. And we always have to take the situation to extremes just to get something done. It takes much more energy to put out fires than to prevent the spark. Why do we have to constantly triage? It's so tiresome, and it costs far more than implementing appropriate preventative operations. Sites, I know firsthand your commitment to the patient. However, you cannot compromise your organization's quality from a starved budget. If your quality reduces from limited resources, 
you won't be helping your patient, your sponsor, or your industry. Clients, you are responsible for the performance of a trial and its finances. Utilizing a CRO as a scapegoat and then not following up with their performance is no excuse for innocence. If there's a chronic problem and you can no longer rely on your industry partners, maybe you should find someone else who won't compromise your trial's integrity. Welcome to CRPN Central, the official podcast of the Clinical Research Payment Network. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Fox. CRPN Central discusses the real issues with our clinical research industry to explore and identify mutually beneficial solutions for all of our stakeholders. Escalations throughout clinical trials are unfortunately far more common than they should be. In fact, sites feel that taking escalative measures is the only way to be heard or to get something done. Constant escalation costs our industry significant amounts of money, which is only passed on to future trials and to patients we are trying to help. Why must we go to such extremes simply to complete basic business practices? Today, we will talk about escalations during clinical trial performance, meaning an increase in the intensity of seriousness of a site's business requests to accomplish satisfactory client compliance. Today, I'll ask two of our industry pros to talk about their perspectives when it comes to escalation processes that often occur during clinical trials. One is an experienced site administrator. The other sees escalations from a CRO's perspective. To maintain valid comparisons, Both interviews will utilize the same questions, and my guests did not know the questions before the interviews. Let's regroup after the interviews to compare similarities and differences in perspectives and priorities, and look for possible solutions to a highly uncomfortable situation in our industry. Our first guest has experienced site ownership and, as a result, numerous escalation experiences. Rod Raphael has owned and operated the Indiana Site Investigators Research Group with his wife for many years. Rod's coordinator background and his innovation has helped IRG to become a leading site in the industry for multi-therapeutic and top-enrolling studies. Rod has spoken many times on Dance Affairs Clinical Trial Guru podcast, and he sincerely believes in bringing sites the best possible experience for the best possible research outcomes. I'm thankful Rod is taking the time to speak with us today, and I look forward to hearing the stories that he has to share. Please welcome with me, Mr. Rod Raphael. All right, Mr. Rod Raphael himself. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great. How are you, Dr. Fox? Thank you for coming to CRPN Central today. I really appreciate your voice. You have a lot of experience and I respect every story you have to say. Would you please tell the audience just a brief introduction? Okay. Well, I am a big site advocate. Just let me put that out there first, especially when it comes to payments and the amount of work that we do just in general on studies. I am a site owner. I've been site owner for about 17 years along with my wife. We started in 1985 doing HIV studies. We worked for the largest private practice in the country in Los Angeles doing 
the first studies for HIV like AIDS, AZT, DD4, DDT, all of them. And that's how we kind of we fell into it. I took a break after that for about 12 years. I wasn't interested in doing it until my wife came home and said that she met a coordinator that introduced the physician as his employee. And then she never heard another word at the meeting after that. She was talking to him the whole time about how that worked. And ironically enough, when I had worked doing research at that private practice, I thought the same thing. Study coordinator does 90% of the work. Why can't we just hire a doctor and do this? And I wasn't smart enough at that age or didn't know how to do it. So when she came home and told me that, I went out and found two doctors that week, and we've been doing research ever since. So that was wow. 17 years ago. Rob, today we're going to talk about escalations, which it's it's never really exciting to do escalations in research, specifically escalations being the times where we have to escalate communication and concerns, the chain of command to try to get something done. It's high energy, tiresome activity, but it's something that I think that we as site administrators have to do all the time. I'm going to ask you four questions, and just so you know, these four questions are going to be the same four questions that I'm asking the other interviewer. So we're going to see how our experienced stakeholders answer them, and then we're going to look for similarities, and we're going to look for differences, and maybe try to find possible solutions that can help everyone. My first First question to you is, in 17 years, have you ever had to perform escalations as a site administrator? Well, depending on what your definition of escalations is, I've gone to the extreme of not allowing a monitor to come back on site until they catch us up for payments. So payment escalation, legal escalation, I'm sure there's a lot of different kinds of escalation that we can go through. The payment one is the biggest one in my mind. That's kind of where the most contention is. Okay, for example, over 17 years, how many times do you feel you've had to escalate? I hate to say it feels like more in the last few years, but it does for whatever reason. But I'd say I've, I've done it less than a half a dozen times, luckily. Mm-hmm. I have gone to the extreme of going on LinkedIn and finding who the financial vice president of finances was <laughs> for this three-letter CRO just to get paid. And I told him in the, in the email, I said, this is a very extreme and unorthodox way of doing it. I got an email back that day from the paper. That's something. Squeaky wheels get oiled or replaced, but most of the time they're oiled in clinical research when it comes to these escalations. How in the world do we get to the point where we want to escalate? And can you walk me through from your experience the entire process of escalation from beginning to end? Unfortunately, it starts right in the beginning of a new study and because we need those startup funds typically to run that study. An example that I gave you and Dan Sarah, what, a few months back was that I had a NASH study where we were doing some extremely expensive liver biopsy. And that was, you know, an $8,800 procedure. So when you have four or five patients doing that, that leads to an escalation. And it really wasn't, I can't say that it was any fault of theirs, except for the fact that they take over a month. But, you know, they say 30 days in the contract or upon presenting an invoice. And then it still takes three, four, six weeks to get that payment. And that's typically where we really start to feel the pressure and need to escalate when it takes that kind of time. Small sites do not have deep pockets to do that. And as we all know, a lot of the studies have started requiring so much more of the sites when it comes to doing studies. 
So that escalation happens a little bit quicker and a little stronger than it might have in the past because of the expense that we encounter along the way. It's not to say that they don't pay, but when the contract says 30 days and it takes 60 days, that's quite a bit. And my other thought was, is why can't they put in place some form of contract with them directly to get paid for like that procedure I was doing, the liver biopsy? And my other thought was, why do I have to send in an invoice for something that's already in EDC and wait to get paid? Early on in this internet age, I was a big advocate about 30-day payments versus quarterly payments. There was a big push about six years ago to get that to change from that 90 days to a month. But even that is still takes 30 days. It's more than 30 days. It's typically between 45 to 60 days. And that's just sometimes is unsustainable for sites, small sites or single standalone sites. I don't even know how some of these site owners that have three, four or five sites do it. So you have so a problem persists. Let's say it's a payment because a payment is a big one. It has come to the breaking point. My guess is you, you probably do follow ups. Where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? I keep asking. Nobody's listening. People are ignoring me. And then something breaks. You escalate. You've mentioned some escalation practices in earlier on. You were talking about direct emails, LinkedIn following, things like that. Can you list what are the activities that you do in an escalation? I try to find out early on in the study who my contact is now for payments, if it's a payment yeah. issue. That's typically yeah. the number one escalation. So, and I will include the other people that I need to include from the study team, but I go directly to that person and ask them, you know, what is your procedures for paying? When, what time of the month do you pay? Is it monthly? You know, it's supposed to be monthly, but how long after that does it take typically? So when can the site expect to receive a payment? And sometimes I'm ghosted. There's nothing. I don't get anything back from them. So then I'll send it again. I'm pretty persistent on sending those if I don't hear anything. And even when I do, if they don't fully answer the question, that sometimes they'll say, well, it's being worked on and then it has to be signed and it'll be sent out. Well, that doesn't really tell me what the time frame is. They never clearly state what the time frame is because the contract may say 30 days, but they don't follow that. But they definitely expect their EDC to be in within 72 hours. That's kind of a double standard. So I will do that first. I have gone to the extreme when I can't get an answer or I don't have a contact person that, that does the payroll or the payments. I will tell the monitor I have to keep you from coming on site until this gets resolved. That, for the most part, will stop at dead in its tracks, and I will get contacted. But what happens towards the end of the study? When you're done seeing patients, you're not enrolling anymore, they are on a time crunch because they have a data lock, and you're waiting for payment. Well, if you do everything right up to closeout, you have no leverage with them then to get paid. And sometimes you need that leverage because they'll take, especially on that last payment, they take a long time. Sometimes they wait for other sites, for all the sites to be closed before they make that payment, which is so unfair anyway. And actually a violation of their agreement. That's where it really gets tricky. So there's times where I'll hold back data or, you know, I won't finish every single thing on that final list to close us out for that reason. If I've had trouble getting paid from them or if I know it's going to be an issue and I'm not going to get paid at the end of a study. If you do all of that, you have no recourse left after that except legal recourse, which I've never actually had to do. 
I always try to hold something back. It sounds like they don't give you a very good reason to trust them. No, typically not. Typically not. Even if you can get that person that you know that's doing reconciliations and and is going to make those payments or the final payment, they still, they don't have any control over that. Once they finish their approval process and have everything that they need, they send it to somebody who has to get it approved and then signed. And that seems to be a long process. So when they tell you been approved, then it seems like it's another month. A lot of the big CROs have a big, like a QA department. They probably pay the QA department more than they pay their sites sometimes. And their job is solely to make sure that every single dime coming out of their bank is accurate. I think they need to maybe send that money to the sites a little bit more, to be honest, because most of the time it's not accurate anyway. So they're kind of wasting their time on that QA. You know, I feel like I possibly have been blackballed from one or two pharmaceutical companies. Well, it's possible. We don't like how they treated us and we don't want to come back, but then the sites are the same way. We don't like how you did business with us, so don't bother coming back. It's a really weird, like you said, a wild, wild west sometimes where it feels like Everyone is literally just doing work with knives to each other's throats. Nobody can really trust each other. And as a result, we have to spend more energy trying to have our guard up than to try to do the job itself. That's that's why I'll give a shameless plug for next February to come uh-huh. to Save Sites. SaveOurSites.com. Yep. yep. So are you are you going? Are you going to oh, come absolutely. to? Absolutely. Oh, love it. Love it. I look forward to it and really want to see that. Rod, it sounds like we've got quite a toxic situation here with these escalations, and I know that it's a part of the life of an administrator. Can you tell me from your experience, what do you think are the consequences of these escalations, not just in short term, but also in long term? I personally know of, of a site that's gone out of business, and that was part of the reason they got tired of waiting to be paid or fighting with them to get paid and struggling every month to keep their site open. Wow. And they just got to the point where they don't want to do it anymore. And I'm sure there's a lot of sites that feel that way. Like I mentioned, I, I do feel like I've been blackballed for one or two companies or CROs. It's a sad way to conduct business. And it kind of feels like David and Goliath when we're trying to run sites. These escalations, I feel like this could be cleared up pretty easily if the pharmaceutical companies were willing to hear the sites and to hear the issues that are going on. Most of the escalations are about money. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I honestly don't think it, you can say that it's because we don't know how to run a site or to budget a site. Do you feel as though, because sites are always on high alert with these escalations, do you think that they have a direct impact on the required site budgets when we do clinical research? I do. I think that we get to the point where we feel like we have to fight for every penny we can get in a budget. Mm-hmm. We inflate different things that maybe we wouldn't inflate just to pay for something that they won't consider. A good example of that is something that I actually did learn from Dan. Dan's site in L.A., one of the sites that he had in L.A., he used to provide transportation regardless for the patient. And we have pretty much taken that to heart and and do that almost all the time, for sure if a patient needs it. But I do tell my recruiter, you know, if you think somebody needs a ride, let's offer it. That's a good practice. I can't get sponsors to pay for that, which is ridiculous. If you can word a good justification letter to the sponsor, they will mostly 
uh, allow it because they have something in writing. But that's something I've never, I haven't been able to get them to do. It's funny because they won't pay the sites to help with transportation, but they'll throw millions of dollars on third-party transportation companies. They when will it, sometimes allow if the patient lives like 50 miles away. But that's not the point. I'm trying to do this for most patients, yeah. especially when they have a couple procedures to go do. Oh, yeah. I mean, gas is expensive. A lot of these patients don't necessarily have good transportation. We're not in an area that has great mass transit, so they can't take a bus to us. So that's why we do it. And especially in the winter, you know, they're not comfortable oh, driving God. and you need them to come do their appointment. Yes, now we can sometimes go to them at their house, though. Mm-hmm. We have, I know that escalations are just a part of life and research. We've talked about it. It's, it's common, unfortunately. And it has consequences financially. Financially, professionally, on a trust level, there's a lot of things. You had mentioned that it's fixable. We could prevent escalations. Can you elaborate? How do you think that from a site's perspective, we could reduce the level of escalations and try to make things better? Say you can fix it, but it is difficult, probably a difficult thing to fix on their end because they watch every penny that they make or put out. But I do feel like there are systems and programs and ways that they could speed up their payment process if they wanted to. And I don't even know if it's so much of them not not wanting to do it. I just don't think it's a priority for them. I think they feel like they're more concerned with getting that study completed or that drug to market. Sometimes it almost feels like that's particular study, regardless of who the CRO is or the sponsor, is only as good as that team. Because I've worked with with a sponsor that was absolutely great. And then I've worked with another study with that same sponsor and the team was not great. And and sometimes maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe they don't have a good processes in place for this. They have offshored a lot of their where their payments are being made. You can't even talk to these people if you can call them because they're in a different country. So trying to call them is almost impossible. And I get why they're doing it, but I don't think they're using technology like they could to make this an easier process. If they can pay payments with stipends to a patient with a patient card, they can figure out how to pay us in a more reasonable manner and cut out some of those days. I mean, not make it such a long wait to get paid. They kind of came kicking in and screaming for um, quarterly to monthly yep. payments. It took yep. a lot of sight push that from a lot of sites to change that. I wonder if it seems like there's a lot of cultural turnover in the industry where, like you said, you work with one team and it's wonderful. It's like they know what they're doing, they understand, they get it. And then six months later, you work with another team, sometimes on the same study. And they or sister are... Study. Yeah, or sister study. Or, oh, my favorite, I don't know how many times you've been through this, but when you have the handoff, hey, I'm no longer this representative, so-and-so is going to take care of you now. Now, that happens a lot in early startup and contracts. This creates these levels of tension that bring us to the brink. Is it safe to say that because we're constantly at a level of tension, the chance of having an escalation is higher because we're already at this really high level? 
Yeah. Sometimes it's just as much, just like you said, when you get a new monitor, I have actually had to do an escalation because of that. When you have four monitors in, in three months and you feel like they're only monitoring the same thing that the first monitor, second, and third monitor did, mm-hmm. and that's holding your payments because yeah. it used to be, well, it still is, I guess, risk management or risk monitoring kind of fell by the wayside, but it's still when that monitor has reviewed everything and it's all in EDC, that's supposed to trigger payments. But if that monitor leaves and you don't get a new monitor for three weeks or a month or six weeks, they come back in, they start like day one again, looking at the data that maybe wasn't finished from that previous monitor. Sometimes if that happens a couple or three times on a study team, which I had happen, we weren't getting any anything forward because they kept looking at the same stuff. And then what happens after that is then they have to bring another person on site with them yep. or the manager because they're behind or because that person has to be shadowed for a visit by their boss and that slows it down too. That stuff happens in every study almost that has some form of issues like that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess it's safe to say that sites are often perceived as being whiny or they complain too much or they they just do this. As a site administrator, as someone who's been doing this for a long time, do you like escalations? I like getting paid. I like getting paid, yeah. <laughs> no, it's I don't conflict. Like, yeah. No, I don't like that conflict. I honestly, I do love doing budgets, that part of it, but I don't like trying to get paid. That's the other thing is they will say, okay, it's been approved, but we have to wait now for them to sign it and everything. They don't tell you when that is. It just shows up in your account. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, is it going to be there tonight, tomorrow, three days from now? You never know when it's going to hit the business account, yeah. especially when you're worrying about your employee's livelihood, payroll. As a site owner, I never realized that if I doing this, how important it would be for me to worry about payroll and my employees livelihood they rely on that they want to be paid on time just like anybody else does for the work that you do and that's a very humbling uh position to be put in i had never thought about it as a site owner to have that responsibility yeah when people depend on you it changes the whole game because then if you fail then it's not just you that hurts it's someone else and there's times where we don't take a paycheck because of that lots of times where we don't take a paycheck for that reason Yep, you just kind of hold back, make sure everyone else is taken care of. One more question for you. Let's just say that I gave you the microphone and I said, Rod, tell the pharmaceutical company exactly how you feel about escalations. What would you say? A lot of what I just said, we survive by these studies. We aren't being paid from patients that we're seeing, for example, like a doctor has a practice. So we only have a study to get paid for. Mm-hmm. So we need you to do that in a timely manner. I don't think that's an unreasonable request. We put it right in our contract. You put it in your contract. You're payment terms and we either you know we change them or we agree on them and they don't seem to hold up their end of that they don't seem to have that same urgency paying us as maybe they do their employees so it's very frustrating because sites are small we're only as good as the studies that we're doing and able to enroll into so we need to be paid in a timely manner that's a lot of stress for us as a site and a site owners we need to play together a lot better and 
and that doesn't always happen. You know, the monitors that we have, we make relationships with, and we have they become friends over time. They can be great, but when you have to go above their head and, and deal with the actual higher ups, it's really difficult. It shouldn't be that way. There's no reason for that. We're doing what you're asking, and we both have the same goal. Really, when it comes down to it, we're trying to to do that study justice and get that drug to market. And the unfortunate thing about this is I can remember as far back as the first AZT study we did, the obstacles, the, the escalations, the fights that we had then with the pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies. So do you feel like sometimes the same exact battles that site administrators go through today were some of them that you were going through back then? Yeah, I do. I, I really feel like that was probably a lot of the same thing, even as just a coordinator. The expectations, the timelines, the pressure to put patients into studies, all of that, it's difficult to get paid in a timely manner. And that just adds to the, the frustration and the stress. And they wonder why there isn't enough sites sometimes. Thank you so much, Rod, for joining CRP and Central. This is a really important topic, and I appreciate your voice. This is a very valuable voice, and it's one that everyone needs to hear. Thanks, our next guest experienced years of site interactions as a site coordinator, CRA, and now as a sponsor and CRO consultant. Thomas Peterson is the founder and CEO of Peterson Consulting, an Illinois organization dedicated to guiding clients toward positive and productive research outcomes. Tom has seen firsthand regulatory sponsor and CRO facing escalation processes, and he will be the first one to tell you that escalation is by far his least favorite e-word in the industry. Please welcome with me, Mr. Thomas Peterson. Thomas Peterson. Hey, Dan, I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for coming on to CRP and Central, and thank you for bringing your expertise to the audience. I've been watching your company's growth and very excited to be part of this, so I really appreciate you inviting me. Can you tell our audience briefly an introduction? Yeah, Reader's Digest version for me. I've been in research now for 13 years, I would say, roughly, most of which started off as a coordinator. I've been a senior CRA for approximately eight or nine nine years. And now I've got my own consulting company that I do clinical research for as a CRA as well. Beyond that, I'm a commissioner in Peoria, Illinois, for the city of Peoria. I'm on a board of directors for a nonprofit medical reserve corps for Illinois. So I'm wearing a lot of hats, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I would imagine that being a CRA requires that personality to wear a lot of hats. (laughs) Yes. And some of those hats, you're just kind of thinking, wait a minute. (laughs) I don't know that Uh I belong in this position, especially with the problem solving piece. Some of the things that we run into were just, you're always going to get that one time where you think this is not part of my job description. Oh, yeah. It's it's tough. I wonder if the CRAs out there in the world realize how many times sites are told to contact your CRA for literally everything. Oh, it's bad. It's like that default. The communication structure is set up to where they say, well, you reach out to our CRA and then they'll escalate up to whomever they need to. It's always an interesting paradigm to use because there are some things that we just have no control over as CRAs. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, we are the easiest target to get hold of because (laughs) we're the most accessible, right? But we do the best we can. We really do. I have met so many CRAs who have saved the trial. Literally, they've saved the trial because of their organization and their persistence. So thank you. 
Thank you for your service. Tom, today we're going to talk about your favorite word, escalations. Tell me, how do you feel about the word? Even when I say the word. It just makes me cringe hearing the word these days. And the sad part is, is that coordinators, when they hear that word through email or phone call, they probably are thinking, oh God, another thing that has to get escalated. Another thing that I won't hear back for in about three, four weeks. It's got a very, very bad stigma to it, that word. Some people don't realize is that CROs or even the pharmacy, we have what's called an escalation plan in place, which basically means if something goes south quickly, we have to be prepared to step in and figure out, okay, what's going to be the quickest way to get this resolved? And this, again, plays into the CRA's hat. We have to escalate this in the most efficient way possible. I think that where there's a lot of negative stigma more than anything else is when CRAs use that word in an email and then they never follow up. Because it is conceived and perceived as a cop-out for CRAs to use that word and say, well, I'm going to have to escalate this. The unfortunate reality is sometimes we're going to use that word to say, I don't really have an answer for you. And I think CRAs should get away from that. I think it is okay for us to say, we don't know, but we Mm. will find out. That's more of like a, it's not Uh, as much of an escalation as it is more informative, like a discovery or a a research. Sites, they've got a bad taste in their mouth from hearing that word so often. I don't blame them. I was a coordinator. Escalation plans, escalation word in general, just it's just one we need to get away from, I think, and be human and to say, I don't have an answer for you, or I need to figure out who I need to talk to to get you the best possible outcome. Tom, I have four questions for you, and I want to see how you respond to them. Okay. Can you walk me through your perception from your experience, an entire escalation process? And importantly, what I really want to know is how do we get to the point of escalation? <laughs> It really can come down to several factors. First and foremost, I briefly was talking about we have these escalation plans that are in place. Their whole intent is basically to tell CRAs or project manager, whoever it is, this is the structure we have to follow, like a communication plan. We get into the muddy waters when there's not really a formal person that we're supposed to reach out to in very unique situations. We as CRAs are, again, in that unique position of being almost counselors to a certain degree because there are certain things that are obviously out of our control, but because we're so client facing and site facing, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to us figuring out what we need to or how to fix it. But what sites don't see on our side is that there is a lot more factors at play than we have any control over. Certain things we just, we, we, don't, we can't handle. The structure is broken down into saying, well, if you can't deal with it, then you need to figure out a person that I need to talk to. And that's when we have to say that word, escalate. Because uh, then we can't talk to contract people. We have to talk to our project manager, who then in turn reaches out to the sponsor or reaches out to the budget team. Escalation is a horrid thing to continuously say, though, as wow. a CRA. You need to just try to divert your attention from using that word as much as possible. Oh my gosh. I had flashbacks just now. And the thing is, most escalations are financial. Yes, absolutely. Or contract work in general, aside from the financial component. It's horrid how we just throw that word around so haphazardly now. So it's interesting. Project managers tell sites, if you have a problem with your budget, go talk to your CRA. Talk to me. The newsletters that are sent to sites, they say, if you have a problem, talk to your CRA. All of these inquiries are going toward our CRAs who are supposed to be monitoring, ensuring regulatory compliance, and they have to play babysitter between all of these different stakeholders. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wow. the unfortunate reality, man. It's just, I think that part of it is, is that CROs are getting so big, you know, everyone's trying to buy each other out and processes are getting so murky and people are wearing so many hats that at some point you're just farming it out. And most of the work when it comes to the client side of things and the client in this case being sites, I think that it's gotten to that point where things are so convoluted that there really isn't a good standard anymore. You had mentioned there is an SOP to escalate yeah, that's sent to the CRA. Why isn't that shared with sites? So, to have an understanding. So there is a lot of processes that are going on behind the scenes that we're not allowed to disclose to the sites. And the sad part is, is there's even certain emails that I'm not allowed to draft until I get approval to release them to the site, whether that mm-hmm. be, for example, the clinical monitoring plan. Technically, those are not to be dispersed to the sites. They are not allowed to see my monitoring frequencies. They're not allowed to see when I'm supposed to be triggered to see a site. They're never allowed to see that SOP. It's not. Do we know why? Like, what's the reason? I think it comes down to an internal process. Even still, it's ironic to me because when I was a coordinator, CRAs would ask for what? Our SOPs on consenting processes. So their internal SOPs were allowed to collect. Better yet, we are encouraged to collect when necessary. But when it comes time for the sites to say, okay, when we're talking about your budget or talking about escalations, do you have an escalation plan in place? Nine times out of 10, your CRO is going to say, we do have them in place and we can walk you through what they look like, but we can't disclose it. I would say every CRO I've worked for has been the same way. None of those SOPs are allowed to be disclosed or released. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if maybe they're afraid sites are going to skip chains of command and go straight to certain people. It's possible. Like abuse the system a little bit. But guess what happens anyway? They find themselves a sponsor contact and they just divert CRO because they're so frustrated. The CROs mm-hmm. are not escalating. Yeah. Oh God, you even used it in a sentence, escalate. Have you ever handled an escalation? And what sort of outcomes have you experienced as a result? The answer to number one is most certainly I've dealt with escalations. And I can say that I've dealt with them on the site side as a coordinator, getting that word thrown in the air very often by CRAs coming to me. And I've also had to throw that word out myself. I'm definitely guilty of it. I, I know I am, even if I don't realize it. And the outcomes have been varying. When I'm in a position as a coordinator and hearing that word, I usually just translate that to mean I don't have an answer and I may or may not get back to you. The unfortunate reality of it is, is when you're a CRA though, it could also go either way because we think about it as, okay, I can basically push this conversation aside for now to triage if I needed to, which some CRAs are going to hate me for even bringing that up, but it's the truth. We use it as a way of kind of kicking the can down the road Mm -hmm. a little bit and saying, okay, I'm trying to manage this problem over here. I'll get back to you on that. And then we are in the meantime trying to get that escalation conversation moved up the chain. While we're working on another problem, we want somebody else to be addressing this on our behalf. So we either are forwarding this over to our project managers, our clinical trial managers, who who are the intermediaries between the project managers and me, which as far as best practices are concerned, is it? No. But again, this goes back to being a CRA means way more hats. And unfortunately, we can't juggle all of these hats at once. So sometimes we need to be able to focus all of our attention on a topic. Mm-hmm. And if we know that we're not in a position to do that at the moment, no. let's push it aside and I'll deal with it when I get back from this problem. Again, I have gotten into this habit where I avoid that word through emails or phone calls because I just don't want them to think that I'm ignoring the problem. A very common escalation from my experience as a site is just this. The trial doesn't pay its bills. <laughs> no, I mean, 
yeah. you talk to anyone, have you had that conversation saying, you have never given me a dime. It's been a year and we're done with monitoring visits until yes, we're caught. Unfortunately, yes. This has actually been a problem that I've had probably in the last CRO I worked with the most because it was considered a rescue study. And on top of that, it was considered expanded access. Oh, so boy. Oh, it, boy. It, it was a double whammy oh. for us. Not only was the rescue study paying us, the CRO, to get them back on track, but because it was expanded access, sites were basically just breaking even. Yeah. When it came down to non-payment or delayed payment, yeah, those conversations start with me. And I am the first to say, I'm not, this is not my wheelhouse, guys. I mean, I can certainly take this information and escalate it up, but that's the best I can do because I'm not in a position to tell you why you're not getting paid. It's a very siloed problem that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Yeah. Unless it's specific to the protocol itself or managing the issues with the sites, there's a lot of conversations CRAs are not privy to. That's probably what encourages sites to continue that. After a year of yeah. non-payment, as soon as you say, okay, we're done here, wouldn't you know it within three days you get paid? There must be someone out there making decisions or not making decisions on this behalf. And it's not the correct. CRA. Very correct. Very much so. Yes. I mean, when it comes down to you know the factor of, well, we're not going to put any more data in until we get paid, magically things start to move, right? And mm -hmm. it's an interesting parallel to try to sit back and watch because when those conversations are happening with the sites when it comes to contracts, there's a good chance that those emails that are being corresponded back and forth with the site, I'm also not included in those either. So yep. what's going on internally and externally, there's going to be a good chance that I have no idea, which is really mm -hmm. frustrating. It's like, if you can let me in on what's going on, I might be able to at least prepare something in my head as far as how I can respond to the sites better. It's a very siloed approach with certain issues that sometimes unfortunately warranted that E word of escalation. It's really frustrating. Frustrating, and I can see why the sites would get frustrated. If they're not making money, they're also losing money. That's just mm -hmm. the unfortunate reality we live in these days. To not get paid until you threaten to say, we're done until we get paid. It shouldn't be that way. No. It should not. Be. I do not think sites enjoy that. There's not some high you get off of this conflict all the time. No. It's tiresome, if anything. Yeah. And it mm -hmm. costs a lot of money and mm -hmm. it costs time to the sponsors. It costs awesome. everything. Escalations should be the last resort, not the daily routine. Exactly. Completely agree with you on that, Dan. And we should do what we can to prevent it. I don't know, like sharing protocols with each other. That might be a yeah, good start. Absolutely. Share the yeah. SOPs with each other. So that way we can better understand what is going to be your function and what kind of expectations should we expect from you? Because unfortunately, when it comes to PSVs, SIVs, IMVs, whatever the kind of visit that we're doing, there is certain things that are happening internally that we're just not allowed to disclose. What do you think are the consequences of escalations throughout the industry? I think that the biggest consequence is making the site suffer. And, and what I mean by that is, let's say that this does go back to what we were talking about, a budget or a contract problem. And if I have to escalate that issue, that means that there's a delay even more so than there already was. So if the site's saying, where the hell's our money? I'm going to have to come back and say, 
I'll have to escalate that because I have no control over what your payment schedule looks like. And then it's got to go up the chain probably to two or three more people before you get somebody that says, okay, I can answer that question. And it's really frustrating for the sites. And the sad part is, is being in their position, I would feel the same way. We're not getting paid. Why are we even doing this? We're doing this for you. There's a delay in payment. There's a delay in basically keeping the study moving in a good direction. It's definitely something that needs to be changed. And I think that organizations like yours are going to be the biggest asset when it comes to trying to mitigate that. I feel like if you are constantly on red alert, like if you're constantly under stress, it takes a giant toll on Absolutely. the mental health and well-being of the site. That's the suffering that you were talking about. If you have angry and upset sites, odds are they're going to have increased budgets because it's going to cost them more to complete the research because they constantly have to escalate. Escalation is expensive. I think that has driven up the costs of negotiations with sponsors. I would agree. And honestly, I always take it back to thinking maybe there needs to be a line item in the budget for escalation or there very well already is again part of the i don't know if there isn't a line item for escalations maybe we need to start thinking about that or even contractual terms everyone says why aren't you charging a late fee why don't you put that in the contract and then when they know that cro's just laugh at you when you try there could be escalation clauses in contracts although that would take a cultural shift i don't think that as it stands now sites are in the position to introduce something like that into contracts. I would agree. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So Tom, we know escalations are bad. We've talked about them. It's not our favorite word. In fact, you've inspired me. I think that's going to be the name of this podcast is the E word. <laughs> How do you think we can prevent escalation? I think that the best way to kind of get away from the escalation or try to avoid even discussing it or having to, having to bring it up would be just ensuring that everyone's on the same page. The sites need to understand from my perspective, that when it comes to certain issues, if I'm throwing that word out, it basically means I don't have an answer for you. I don't have an idea even, or maybe I do have an idea, but I don't want to speak to it yet. As far as what process we can implement or do to avoid whatever is going on. I think being able to be more honest and open on both sides of the fence is going to be the best way that you can start to kind of get away from that word. If you just basically turn into a human being, you'd be surprised how far that will go with a site. The warm and fuzzy feeling you get just knowing that that CRA is a human yeah. being instead of that walled off I'll escalate this and get back to you kind of response. It doesn't bode well. It never does. Transparent communication from site to CRA, from site to CRO, from site to sponsor, or from CRA to CRO. Honestly, any avenue where that word escalation is thrown in or is implied, I guess, I think that there needs to be more transparent communication. It really just comes down to just talk through where your hang up is, or better yet, explaining why you can't handle this problem. A big question for sites who have to go through this all the time. Why does it feel like CROs don't learn their lessons or institute kappas when it comes to escalations? <laughs> the biggest factor for that is that CROs in most cases are too big to fail and they're too big to change their ways. When you get to the size of being maybe the second or third largest CRO in the world, you got there by basically challenging any other 
other people's ideas of what would be a standard practice. I think that really is the biggest hurdle when it comes to CRO size. And they've been doing this across how many clinical trials on a given year. And the pushback that they receive is just not nearly enough to make them change their ways. CROs are way too big. And, and honestly, even if you exclude the CROs, if you're just dealing with the pharma company directly without an intermediary, the same problem is going to persist. It's not going to be localized to the CRO level. It's going to go across the board. Just as a, a paraphrase, it almost sounds like many of the organizations in our industry are too big to care. To put it plainly, yes. I think that when it comes to business, they just think about it as a means to an end. Negotiating outside of what's already been budgeted and contracted, you're going to have an upward battle. You really will. Interesting. So I wonder how, if we're working with organizations that, at least on a business level, don't seem to care. We know that there are people who care. I talk to many very good professionals who do everything they can to make things right. But as a whole, if we are working with these kinds of groups, how do you think we could draw their attention? How do you think we could prevent these escalations from happening in the future? If sites were more in a unified front when it came to saying, if there is delays in this escalation process, or if these escalations cause delays in patient care, and saying, if this problem persists, this is what it's going to cost you. And I think if sites yep. were a more unified front or had organizations that could step up and say, this is what's going to happen if you don't do X, Y, and Z, like you promised, you're going to be paying for it. It almost sounds like a packed score and a consequence, it does, doesn't it? It does. And I think it needs to be at this point because yeah. it's it's not going to change unless sites kind of band together and try to mitigate this problem. So if we're going against a very large entity, we have to become a large entity Absolutely. to follow it. Absolutely. If you get more sites involved and it becomes a following, so to speak, you'd be surprised what the industry will stop and say, okay, obviously we're not doing something right here. If you get enough sites coming together to literally make their own conference to talk about this. Insert sponsorship here. Mm -hmm. All right, Tom, final words. You know, I think the moral of the story at this point is when you hear that word, hang in there. Just know that CRAs are not bad people. We have bosses that we report to. It may seem like we're just trying to dodge you or avoid you. It's just not the case. There's just a lot of things at play that we are either not allowed to disclose or we're just not in a position to answer. If you are a coordinator or a PI and you hear that word escalation come through email or phone call, know that you are not being avoided. We will find you an answer. It just might take us time to do so. I love it. I learned a lot today as well, Tom. Thank you. Really? Yeah. You? Oh, yeah. People, you oh, yeah. something. Yeah. All right. I did my job today yeah. then. All right. Tom, thank you for coming to CRPN Central. Yeah, likewise. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. Rod notes the same escalation problems between sites, sponsors, and CROs have been like this for decades. Sites cannot trust their industry partners in any business practice, and they must always be sure they hold some kind of leverage to ensure the payments they are owed without having to move toward legal recourse. Sites are constantly ghosted when they inquire about payments, putting them on high alert in this industry's business environment. This underlying tension combined with the continuing increases in trial complexities readily triggers escalations as an industry standard. Sponsors could fix this problem, but it doesn't appear to be a priority, and 
it's really not unreasonable to expect to be paid timely for services provided. Clear and constant communication would do wonders to help ease and possibly prevent tensions rising towards escalations. If sites could only get their industry partners to listen. Tom absolutely despises the B word and tries to avoid it at all costs. He experiences escalations routinely with sites. CRAs, unfortunately, are stuck between angry sites and a fragmented workflow that funnels problems and inquiries into individuals who have no power other than to try to delegate, not necessarily escalate, tasks to giant organizations and teams. There's a lot of activity behind the scenes that the sites do not see and, in fact, are not allowed to see according to internal policies and employee-only protocols. Tom encourages CRAs to just be human with sites and maintain open and honest communication about what CRAs can and cannot do to help with escalations. We work in an industry of corporate giants who are far too big to care solely because they will not fail with the limited volume of actions protesting their poor business practices, and the only way we could move the needle of change would be for sites to organize into louder voices to be heard. Both interviews validated the prevalence of escalations in the industry, and both expressed the dissatisfaction toward continually having to push that big red button. Tensions are high, communication is muddy, and sites are on constant alert while CRAs are tasked to resolve problems they are not equipped or authorized to address. Three similarities, however, emerged. Both interviews agree clear and forward communication could do wonders to resolve these problems. It is not unreasonable to expect sites to be paid according to promises made. And, interestingly, that the industry is riddled with organizations who are either too large to fail or simply are not prioritizing escalation reductions in the industry. A final mutual sentiment, sites cannot expect the industry to change without substantial coordination on their front to adequately be heard by the global giants they work with. You know, it's kind of funny. Nobody we talk to likes escalations. And yet, it feels like the problem is so big and convoluted that we have no other choice but to spend more money, complain constantly, and only watch the problem grow beyond control. I guess the only option now is to coordinate our voices to be so loud and organized that the people five chains up in command have no other choice but to listen and to require the changes that we need to finally bring some relief to a constantly hurting industry. That concludes our E-Word podcast episode. Our industry is inflamed to the brink of continuous emergencies, and we need everyone who feels this stress, from sites and physicians to sponsors and CROs, to help us de-escalate this highly toxic environment. A special thank you again to my Community Voice volunteers, to Rod, Raphael, and Thomas Peterson for sharing their insights, and to my Podbean patrons and Medvector for making this podcast possible. Remember, February 2nd, 2024, Tucson, Arizona, Save Our Sites Conference, www.saveoursites.com. Register today.
Thank you again, and we'll see you next time on CRPN Central.